there's a lot to say this morning, um, but I'm going to try and say it briefly. As I shared in, I think it was today's devotional, one of the things you find in the Bible is that an awful lot of stuff is repeated. Uh, Jesus repeats a lot of things uh, in different ways, so makes the same point in different ways. And uh, as Andy preached last week, I'm thinking, well, that's interesting. That just about covers this week as well. Um, because Jesus was involved in the reading we're about to read in a, a long conversation, a kind of teaching conversation, with uh, the people at the Feast of Tabernacles, Jewish leaders, but also just ordinary Jewish people who'd come for the feast. And this had been going on for some time, and he tried to get the point across. And it's a bit like, as I said in the devotional, a bit like the way you spread butter, you know. You have to put it on that way, and then that way, and then that way again, so the butter goes fully down. So if by any chance you think, I've heard some of this before, be blessed, you've got the point. <laughs> You're right. Let me read, first of all, from John chapter 8, verse 31, through to verse 47. John chapter 8, verse 31, through to verse 47. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. That seems like a very friendly conversation. Middle of the Feast of Tabernacles, crowds gathered around, the ongoing, ongoing conversation. Jesus had already identified himself very dramatically as, uh, as living water. And that if, if people want to live, they should come to him and drink. And, and that had put the cat among the pigeons to some extent. Uh, a real stir was going on in the crowd. And, and, and some had dismissed him. 
as, as mad or dangerous and they wanted to kill him. Others uh, were drawn to his teaching and began the early stages of belief in him. And to the Jews who had begun to believe, believe it not, he addressed the words we've just read. Now I find that quite confusing at times because they'd begun to believe and now Jesus is saying, but you want to kill me. And of course, all that does is reveal the complexity of the nature of the people who were there. Because some of those religious leaders did want to kill him because they were under threat themselves and they felt he was being blasphemous, claiming to be God. But within them as well was a kind of a but, but, but. And you have this kind of embryonic belief going on. And it's worth noticing that when Jesus saw signs of that, he didn't back off and make things easier for them. It's what we do, isn't it? As soon as people begin to show any kind of interest, we kind of think, oh, well, you know, all you've got to do is believe. It's really quite simple. Let God sort it out afterwards. There's some truth in that. But Jesus wanted these people to be under no illusions as to what believing in him really meant and what discipleship really meant. So, here we go. As briefly as I can, because I want to get to the, the sort of crux of it uh, and spend a bit longer on that. Jesus is explaining to these people who are beginning to believe that in order to really be disciples, they had to hold to his teaching. Later in John 14, 23, Jesus says that anyone who loves him will obey his teaching. And in the great commission Jesus gave to the disciples in Matthew 28, he told them to go into every ethnic group and make disciples of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything he had commanded them. That, by the way, is the authority we have when people ask, what right have you got to tell us what to believe? The answer is, God has told us to. It won't bless people if you tell them that that way, but that's the truth of it. We are under a command and a commission to do exactly that. Being a disciple of Jesus begins with a basic belief that becomes real faith. And that needs to be expressed in obedience to and a holding on to his teaching. That's what Jesus is saying here. You remember the parable of the sower, where the, the, the seed is sown in some forms, it falls in the rocky ground, it never takes root at all, the birds take it away. Uh, others <coughs> fall on, on sort of iffy ground and so life gets choked out of them more or less. Uh, only some really comes to, to, to fruition, proper fruition, bears fruit. We sell people short if we suggest to them that the Christian life is simply a matter of making an easy choice of belief and then carrying on as if nothing had changed because that's not what Jesus calls us to. Pressing on with that, as Jesus explains that to them, he then tells them, that they can be free if they believe in him, and that really upsets them, you know. What right have you got? How dare you? We are Jewish people. We're the, the ones chosen by God. We are the, <clears throat> the chosen race, the chosen nation. And they were telling, they were thinking the truth in that. They just didn't understand the implications of it. This is what we are. How dare you say we can be free? We are free. If anybody's free, we are free. <clears throat> it's, a bit, it's a bit like some of us Brits, really, isn't it, you know. Um, going to have the problem soon, aren't we? Rule Britannia. Britannia rule the waves. Britain never, never, never shall be slaves. Okay. I enjoy the song. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting it should be cut out. I'm just saying maybe we should 
seeing it with a smile on their face. The Jews prided themselves on being free, and they saw themselves as uniquely called and protected by God. <clears throat> but Jesus knew that until their pride was dealt with, until they dealt with the very root of their problem, which was self-sufficiency, which believing that they believed that righteousness was in themselves and they were kind of automatically qualified, unless they dealt with that, they had no hope. <clears throat> and by the way, they'd forgotten conveniently that the Jewish people had been in slavery in Egypt, they'd been in slavery in Babylon, and now they were under the oppression of Roman conquerors. So, it, you know, they were a bit blinkered in their view. But Jesus puts his finger right on the root of the human problem and he says this, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. <clears throat> Later on, Paul put it this way in Romans 7, verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, and what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work in me. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll come to the last bit in a moment, but the, the problem is simply this. You and me, in our natural state, are slaves. Every last one of us. Because we don't have the capacity not to sin. We've inherited this sinful nature from our original fallen parents that, that comes right the way through we, we, we just try it tomorrow try it tomorrow and try and spend the whole day not thinking one anxious thought one bitter thought one lack of trusting thought one lack of kindly thought and that we haven't got to the actions yet all right just try it we've got a problem and it doesn't matter who you are you can be a celebrity who considers yourself an influencer. And on a personal note, if there's one thing that gets up my nose these days, it's influencers who have come from nowhere, managing to get themselves a big crowd on, on sort of online of people they influence with no authority or anything to do that with. I think, why? Why would you want to be like people who, for, in fairness, not all, but in many cases, are incredibly unstable? Why? Doesn't matter who you are. You can be this influencer. You can be royalty you can be deeply religious you can have a massive status within society all that kind of stuff it counts for not a simple thing in our natural state sin enslaves us and we need to be set free and until a human being acknowledges this need of being set free there is no hope of being set free 
Uh, as Jesus said, it's the sick who need a doctor. You know, you only go to doctors if you know you're sick. And the trouble is, an awful lot of people, the penny hasn't dropped with them yet. They don't know. They know something's wrong, but they haven't quite, quite got their head around the fact that they need help, they need a savior, and they need freedom. That brings us to a deadly danger in this passage. So far, okay, you say, yeah, I understand, I understand. We, we have this battle, uh, sort of sinful nature and, and, and slaves to sin, fair enough. The deadly danger Jesus spells out to his listeners from verse 42 of the reading onwards. And basically he's saying this, that if God was really their father, they would love him. Instead, they have fallen for the lies and proved the devil is really their father. That's a big switch around, isn't it? They think... God is our father, well, Abraham and then God. God is our father, and she's saying, the truth is, the devil's your father. Wow. Strong stuff. And here's the danger for us. If we reject Jesus' teaching and, and embrace a lie, which is what we do if we reject uh, Jesus' teaching, then those lies are the business of Satan. That's what he deals in. He is a liar. He deals in lies. If you remember his words right at the beginning to, 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 to Eve, you know, did, did, did God really say you'd die? No, don't be silly. Dece a deceiver and a liar. Now, if we begin to travel down that road and begin to call what is sinful good and what is good sinful, we become blind to the truth. That's what Jesus is accusing these people of. Uh, at another time, uh, they actually suggested that the reason Jesus could do miracles was because he was a demon or serving demons. And, and that's astonishing. They couldn't see. They could not see good. They thought evil was good and good was evil. Now, increasingly, we see that be begin to be writ large within our society. Moral values are being turned on their head, not just pushed to one side, but totally turned on the head. So for example, and I'm not suggesting these issues aren't complex, but that's for another time. So for example, to be pro-life is seen as an evil by many in our society. How come? Where did that come from? It's a lie. To uphold a, a biblical view of sexual morality is seen as a damaging influence on people within our society. And yet the reverse is true. People are blind. It's not, that they, it's not that they see truth and choose to say, oh, yes, but uh, you know, we'll pretend and, and surreptitiously try and turn the argument around. The devil does that. He knows what's, what's true. But he blinds the eyes of unbelievers. He blinds the moral consciousness. Sadly, some churches have begun to get infected with all this. And the problem is when it gets to that level where we cannot see anything other than evil is good and good as evil, then the slavery is totally complete. We're totally incarcerated in a world which has no hope. If you want to know, I, I, I think personally that's what Jesus was getting at when he was talking about the sin against the Holy Spirit being unforgivable. People say, oh, what if I've, what if I've done that? I mean, the sure answer to that is always, if you fear you might have committed that sin, you haven't. Because if you have, you won't be fearful of committing it. Uh, it it's, cause, it's a blindness. It's, it's a recognition that w what is really 
uh, or rather seeing that what is really good is evil. That's astonishing. Are you still with me? Are you still with me? So do you want to be free? Do you want to be free? Freedom's an interesting thing, isn't it? Um, freedom happens within a context. So, for example, if you love football, I love football. All right. Newcastle stayed up. Whoop. We'll see what happens next, but whoop for now. Um, if you want to be free to play football, you need certain things. Uh, you need a football pitch. You need goalposts. You need rules. And you need a referee. But I, I don't want that. I just want to be free to play football. Fine. You can go and kick a ball around your heart's content on a big field, but you're not playing football. But you, you see the point I'm making here? We talk about, oh, God sets you free, and we think, oh, wonderful, woo, as if we're sort of vaguely wandering off into a, a thing where we can do whatever we like and doesn't matter. That's not what the Bible says freedom is. Freedom is freedom from what is wrong and evil to be brought into the realm of what is good and true. That's the freedom which is on offer. Jesus identifies truth, truth with his teaching. If you want to know the truth, listen to what I say. But it goes deeper than that. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus makes it clear that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. If you want to know the truth, you've got to know Jesus. The living reality of the person, Jesus Christ, who died, rose from the dead, ascended to glory, and is there now having poured his spirit into our hearts, and one day is going to come back from glory. This Jesus offers to enter into a relationship with us by his spirit. If you want to be free, you've got to be in that relationship. You've got to know the truth. Free, freedom from slavery begins with faith in Jesus Christ. He is the one who has conquered evil. He is the one who on the cross dealt with the problem of sin, destroyed the power and authority of Satan, destroyed the power of death when he rose from the dead. He has done all that. He has won the victory. He is the ultimate example of what it is to be free. And he offers that freedom to any who will put their trust in him, lock, stock, and barrel, as their only hope of salvation. Yeah? You turn from your own way. You put your trust in him as your only hope. Then we become free from sin in terms of its guilt and its authority over us. Okay? I'm a, I'm a Christian believer. That means that when God looks at me, don't misunderstand me, God, God knows all the stuff of my life, but when God, God looks at me, he sees me through the lens which is Jesus Christ, and he sees the righteousness which is Jesus, and I am clothed in that, and I am accepted by God, and I am free from the guilt and eternal consequences of sin. End of story. That is the basis of freedom. That's where it starts. Now, I'm not saying and then you can live as you like, although the phrase love God and live as you like is actually a good one, as long as you know what loving God means. I'm not saying you just then go, oh, great, I can do whatever I like now. What I am saying is that's the bedrock of it. That's the basis of it. That is the absolute reality of the freedom God offers in Jesus Christ. I am, however I feel at any given moment, because I'm in Christ, utterly free from the mastery of sin. So, for example, uh, you have somebody in prison, okay? 
and somebody comes and breaks them out. Well, let's not, let's not say breaks them out, but actually they're incarcerated illegally, so they're set free, yeah? The doors are opened, come out into the light, my friend. Look, isn't it wonderful? Yeah, fabulous, wonderful, great. The problem with human nature is if we've been incarcerated long enough, that's where our security was. And what do we do? Well, first time we have to spend the night somewhere else, we go back into the cell because we don't know where else to go. It's, it's nonsense, but that, that's the way human nature works. We fall back on the old addictions and the old habits and the old ways, even though if we're in Christ, they no longer have any authority over our lives at all. And the business of discipleship is the business of teaching us how to live as free people. Discipleship doesn't make us free people. It is the business of how to live as a free person. Grace makes us free people. Undeserved favor from God. And as a song says, there is nothing greater than grace. There's nothing deeper than grace. And once you really are in Christ, you can't fathom its depths. You can't fall out of grace. You can't. The death of Jesus becomes our death. We're buried with him. We're raised with him to, to new life. All that sort of stuff, yeah? And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6 that when that happens, we should reckon ourselves dead to sin. Now, that's an accountancy term. I'm not an accountant, all right? Did, did manage to get maths O level? That was good, yeah. I, I got, sorry, it's an aside here. I got my maths O level by working out that if I, I, I understood totally three quarters of all the papers I had to do, and I reckoned I could get 100% on that three quarters of the paper. So I concentrated on that, totally ignored the other quarter because I knew I was going to drop the subject anyway, and managed to get the equivalent of an A. Isn't that good? Couldn't go any further than that, though. So in accountancy, okay, you've got all the stuff you owe, yeah, and all the credits. And uh, you know, if, if you're running a good business, you're making a profit. If you're making a loss, you've got a problem, yeah. In accountancy, all the sin that is against your life is cancelled by the cross of Jesus. And so Paul says, now, when you're working out how to live your life, the first thing you do is reckon yourself. Underline zero, zero, zero. Reckon yourself dead to sin. That's how God sees you. <sighs> So how does this work out in practice? You say, okay, the theory of it's fine. So I'm a believer and I still sin. It's true. But sin is no longer my master. God has said that. God has declared it. I now have authority over it in the name of Jesus. Over the years... Slight aside, over the years, from time to time, I've been called in uh, with others to, to deal with sort of spooky things happening in people's houses, you know, uh, even Christian people or people who claim faith and so on. And uh, we've dealt with it, and I won't go into the, the stories because they, they are quite interesting at times. But what I try to say to people is, when people say, oh, well, you know, I, I need somebody to pray with me into this, well, that's fine. I'll pray with you into it. But listen, the weakest Christian 
at their weakest moment, has total authority over Satan. The problem is, at our weakest moments, we forget. But it doesn't alter the fact you have total authority over Satan. I can now grow in holiness and grow in my uh, expression of love to God and living right, grow in those things because the price has been paid, the debt has been written off, and I can't fall any deeper than grace will hold me. I can't do that. Therefore, I'm free to, to explore all the beauty of living obediently without living in terror and fear. That's what Jesus came to give us. So how? Practically, how do I live it out? First thing, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, those of you who heard me preach a few times, but I cannot stress this enough. I need to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit and live in conscious relationship with the Holy Spirit because the Bible says, if I do that, I will not gratify the sinful nature. That's what the Bible says. It's the key to the whole thing, the, the fundamental key. But very practically, if the Holy Spirit's leading me, what's going to happen is I'm going to devote myself to being more obedient to the teaching of Jesus. I'm going to, going to go through the word of God saying, how can I better express my love to you, Lord? How, how can I better express my thanks for what you've done for me? And that's how the Spirit will take us through. We need to steep ourselves in the truth, steep ourselves in what is good and noble and pure and true. And that's a simple daily choice which the Holy Spirit will help us go through. Keep short accounts, short accounts, short accounts. These Jewish people who were beginning to believe um, had to realize that freedom was found in God's terms and not theirs. And like them, we have to let God deal with our pride and recognize we have no hope. We have no hope, except in the cross. Doesn't this just swap one slavery for another? Doesn't this swap slavery to sin to slavery to Jesus? Yeah, actually, in one sense. On the other hand, if you're surrounded uh, by terrain that is quicksand and snake infested and someone guarantees you a path to safety and there's only one path, uh, you, you take that path, don't you? Because that's the path of freedom. And Jesus is the only path. It's the only alternative to a lost alternative, so choose your master. Choose your master. But the service of Jesus is freedom. But when we become slaves of Jesus, we are made sons of God. We become brothers and sisters of Jesus. And as Jesus said in this passage, the son has a permanent place within the family. The slave doesn't. So I know which side I want to be on. Two things to finish with. Um, do you know the, uh, the old landlord story? I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, I think Larry Christensen developed this illustration, cracking illustration. You, you're renting a flat, okay? And the landlord is awful, absolutely awful. He, he makes uh, noises outside your flat. He disturbs your sleep. He demands the rent uh, be increased regularly. Uh, when you go out, he lets himself in, thrashes the place, and then blames you. Uh, you know, he really, it really is a nightmare. Your life is awful. And then one day, there's a knock at the door. 
And you open the door, and this person says, hello, I just want to introduce myself, I'm your new landlord. Uh, I'd like you to live here, and there's no rent. Just live here free, and if you've got any problems at all, anything you need, just get in touch, I'll be in the flat upstairs. Can you imagine? Yeah. Fabulous. And there's a big banging at the door one day, and the old landlord's standing there. What are you going to do? I want the rent, he says. Well, you could try and bop him in the nose, but that would, probably wouldn't be sensible. You could pay him, which is what he wants. Or you could say, I'll tell you what, you need to take that up with the guy upstairs, because he's a new landlord now. But all too often, we fall for the lie. The, the old hymn, Rock of Ages, has that wonderful line in it, be of sin the double cure. Save me from its guilt and power. That's what God offers. To finish, the prayer of St. Augustine. I never thought I'd quote that in my life, but here we go. And we'll, we'll make this our prayer to finish with, but just before I, 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 I share it, if God has touched you with this this morning, you know, if you've never put your trust in Jesus and realize and know that you are no longer a slave to sin because of that freedom Jesus gives, then that can be dealt with so straightforwardly and simply this morning. Do talk to me, talk to Andy. If you've really been struggling with making it work, then again, ask for prayer. Ask for people to pray into your life and help you through that process. But this is the prayer of St. Augustine, and then uh, the band will come. Lord, you are the light of the minds who know you, the life of the souls who love you, and the strength of the souls who serve you. Help us to know you that we may truly love you, so to love you that we may truly serve you, whose service is perfect freedom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.